You are listening to the Karen 10 podcast, where we bring alumni back inside Karen University in just 10 minutes. Well, amidst the many great things that will be happening this coming fall with our forward campaign, a new cafe that is almost completed under construction as we speak, and a robust class of incoming freshmen, as well as a great homecoming around the corner. We also have at least one, there's probably more than one, but one historic announcement or thing occurring at the university. And that is that for the first fall in the history of the university, we were going to be welcoming a crop of freshmen, among whom are some who are majoring in biology. And this is really exciting for me as an alum. I hope if you're listening as an alum, it's exciting for you to realize uh, that that Karen is, is stepping into this new realm. And so with us now today for the podcast is uh, the individual who is heading up this new program out of the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences, Assistant Professor Greg Jensen. Greg, thanks for joining us in the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks. One of the things I've done is I went online and I uh, just scoped out uh, Greg's bio, which you can find, of course, as well under the faculty profiles. And he lists a couple of uh, papers that, that he is uh, responsible for, include the role of serotonin in regulating the hypoxic hyperventilatory response of larval zebrafish, as well as a study of the sensitivity of redback salamanders to damage release cues from conspecifics uh, in the Journal of Herpetology. And so both of these items are listed there. These are just some examples of his work. And so, Greg, I thought salamanders and larvae fish, or, or, or sorry, zebrafish and larvae stage would be a great place to start because I've had some really interesting conversations with people on this podcast, but I don't know that uh, someone fascinated by zebrafish and uh, redback salamanders, specifically their sensitivity, uh, <laughs> I've had the opportunity to interview somebody. And so I wanted to start with um, you, and I'm not really looking for your resume here, but just to introduce uh, anybody listening a little bit more to you as a person who's really going to be significant um, as Karen moves into this new direction. Can you talk about your interest in science? I mean, where has that, where did that come from? When did that happen? And, uh, you know, how does somebody become interested in serotonin related to larval zebrafish? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely not something uh, that I had intended to do the, the day I stepped into uh, my undergrad education. So, I actually was one of those people that had really no idea what they wanted to do after high school. Um, I knew I liked sports, really enjoyed doing sports in high school, um, you know, did, did well in school, well enough to, uh, you know, thought, well, I should attend university. Uh, and I started off at Houghton College. I actually started off as a phys ed major, again, because of the interest in, uh, in, in sports and thought, hey, this is a good, this will be a good fit for me. But then I started to take some, uh, through the coursework I took, realized that, hey, well, maybe I, I think what I actually like is more like sports medicine, the, the side of biology. Um, and I'll, I'll spare you all the details, but that, <laughs> that led me to, uh, to pursue an undergraduate degree in biology, just general biology, uh, as well as adolescence education. So I had thought about doing, I actually did a semester of uh, marine vertebrate biology at uh, Stony Brook University. I uh, thought, hey, I'd really like to, to spend my life on a research vessel. Um, realized that that wasn't, that that, that had a, maybe a more romantic ideal in my mind yeah. than what it actually was. Like, like and, a lot of things, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, still, still really <laughs> enjoyed, enjoyed the, uh, the subject matter, but realized, hey, you know, I think as much as I, I don't like public speaking, I think teaching could be something I really enjoy. It seems different than, than uh, what I had tended to view teaching as, which is oh, I've got to give a series of 45-minute talks every class, and I, I hated a five-minute speech. But mm -hmm. 
Uh, so that got me on that path, and I really say there's that I really enjoy teaching. There's a kind of a different feel in the classroom, but um, that was right after I graduated from Houghton. I, I started teaching biology at uh, at Plumstead Christian School, and when you teach something, uh, you know the the mantra goes to teach is to learn, and and that's I think when I really started to to love biology. I really liked biology as an undergraduate. Um, but oftentimes that's trying to figure out the field of biology is so enormous, uh, there's so much to it, uh, that when you start to teach it and then explain it to, to high school students, you start to gain a different appreciation for it. They ask great questions, questions you've never considered, and that starts, uh, it, it causes you to reflect on things in a, a new and different way. Um, so I taught for seven years, and then uh, my wife and I made the decision to, uh, to jump to graduate school at the University of Ottawa. Um, she did work in a piano lab up there at, at, uh, on campus, and, and I got into work. Uh, I found a lab that I really liked their work and have always been interested in, in physiology, and I uh, got connected with a, uh, a lab up there, and that, that got me on the track of uh, studying zebrafish. So, mm-hmm. um, and I guess that, that first study, the, the one with salamanders, that was relating to, to behavior and physiology as well. Um, but I've always really liked the idea of um, kind of looking at at behavior, looking at uh, kind of the the mechanisms that that control behavior um, on some levels. and And so that was uh, again, kind of jumping into this research program at the University of Ottawa. Um, really enjoyed it. It was a great uh, great opportunity just to again, to take kind of my my development in science, the passions I had, and uh, and then just to be able to to study. Um, a paper that I'm sure everybody has read, right, is, mm-hmm. yeah, is right. The, uh, <laughs> the, the role of uh, this neurotransmitter and how it influences uh, the, the ability of zebrafish to respond to low oxygen. And um, something that's super specific but really relates to uh, my interest more generally in, in the field of biology. But as you, as you specialize, you start to do things that are, you know, really, really limited and, uh, mm-hmm. and you so, hyper-focus. So what is it that makes you um, passionate about those particular, is it, is it that you can see the specialization and that it connects to a broader things? Is it the concept of connections or is it the, is it the individual study itself that you're particularly passionate about? And not just with these studies, but even with science in general. I, I guess I'm wondering, so what is it that, that drives mm-hmm. your passion for scientific inquiry, if you want to call it that, or, mm-hmm. or, the, or your interest in that realm? Yeah, I think for me, and I, I'm not saying it's this way for everybody, but mm-hmm. for me, I can't think of biology outside of the whole of biology. Um, again, as I said, when you study biology, you're looking at something really specific. I mean, you you go to conferences and you talk to people in the field of uh, cell biology, and then there's even specializations within a field like cell biology. So you are you are doing something that's quite limited, and it's humbling because you start to realize yeah. how much you don't know about the field. But uh, what what really interests me is making the connections, and that's why even in my interests uh, and what I'm currently studying, which is kind of uh, theology and Christian ethics, um, connecting what we study in biology to the whole, right? What does this mean? Uh, not just the fact that we, because the tendency is sometimes to um, to think of things, to think of physiology as this is the basis of all of life, and you know it simply is not the case. It's a secondary mechanism. It's something that um, that allows certain behaviors, uh, but we can't isolate that from the field of biology proper and mm-hmm. uh, the givenness of of all of creation. Something mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll touch on soon. So yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay, so we jump from very, something very specific, in particular study to um, some some broad subjects. I, I'm just curious, 
what do you think as you assess uh, the role that science plays in in the minds of most people? And I guess I mean by that, you know, all of us have an experience, and we'll probably get to this a little bit later, related to science education, you mm. know, good or bad or indifferent maybe or somewhere in between. So everybody has a little bit of experience with science, but then, you know, there's this part where people get into their specific discipline, jobs, study pursuits, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you assess the state of science, you know, in at large today? And I'm thinking kind of primarily in the in the U.S. here. Um, is is it something that you think people are engaged with as they ought to be? Uh, are there things that they're missing? Or so, what do you, as a scientist and someone who teaches science, mm-hmm. um, how, how do you kind of think through that? Yeah, it's it's a great it's a big question. First mm-hmm. of all, um, there's a whole a uh, number of ways to address that, but I think. The state of science, and even when you think of how people approach science, you'll often hear um, undergraduate students say, especially in certain elective courses, so it's not their major, but they're taking a class, right. oh, I'm not good at science. You know, that, that was never something I was good at. Uh, and I think that's something that's programmed into them maybe by uh, oftentimes the way their high school education um, happened and the way that they perceived science. Um, so sometimes it's just maybe a, a poor teacher, a poor experience, maybe just a lack of uh, engagement on their part. Um, but science, if it's only seen as a number of discrete facts or pieces of information, um, you know, the accumulation of what we know about science, um, again, if it's, if it's isolated, if it's not thought about in the context of, of the whole, in the context of life itself, um, it, it can be pretty boring and it can be, if you don't have this kind of natural passion, even those who have passions, you know, they, they have to, as they pursue science, you find you, you discover an individual passion within, within the field. Um, but I think that that's how a lot of students in particular enter, you know, or think about science is I'm not good at science. So one of uh, my goals is to help them understand, well, no, there's, you know, there's no such thing as somebody who's just not good at science. We all mm-hmm. inherently think about the natural world in a certain way, and it's important that we reflect on, on what that looks like. Um, so being bad at science is not simply, oh, I got a 75 on my exam, so I must not be a good right, scientist. Right. Yeah. Um, that's just not the, the proper way to view it. So, um, so that's, you know, I think that's how a lot of students view it. Now, culturally, it's interesting because we have, uh, this is something that really is now uh, a, a center of culture, right? We, we view technology uh, and, and really the, the application of science and technology, staying competitive in, in the market for us and making sure that we're competitive. Uh, and in that context, science takes center stage. Um, so there is a definitely a push to get people in sciences, um, but I don't think it's necessarily for, um, for, for the right reasons, for the reasons that, that Karen educates students. Mm. Um, so that relates to a separate picture of, you know, what, what is the, the goal of a care and education? And that's what really excites me about, mm-hmm. about being here is, is we, get to, uh, we get to prepare students who are going to be professionally competent scientists, uh, but we also get to prepare them to be disciples, more importantly, right? And so the, the, the state of science, I think it, it is, it's pursued, um, but often just as an end unto itself, which I think is no way uh, to pursue science, especially as, as a Christian. Um, so there is this this value, and again, uh, I think we need to to recover some more of the uh, the notions of um, you know poetic knowledge and doctrine of creation, and really allowing that to uh, to kind of take root in 
our in the way that we approach science, which mm -hmm. to many sounds completely foreign. Like, what does that mean? How do you even do that? Isn't science just about discovering these external truths about nature? Right. Uh, so we want to say in part, but but no, it's much bigger than that. Yeah. We have to think beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting to hear you talk about that because I think, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast recently um, about uh, one of the Apollo missions. And um, it was it was fascinating because as I'm listening to it, you know, for, in my mind, I'm often thinking about, you know, NASA and how in our lifetime, even that has changed over time, people's mm -hmm. perspective on NASA. Um, but but what, what is behind all of that is science, you know, and other th disciplines as well, mathematics and so on, physics. Mm -hmm. But it was so exciting. There was this great excitement. And then it seems as if in some way the classroom can sort of reduce the sciences to something, you know, sort of a memorization simply of the periodic table of elements. And I'm sure that that's a worthwhile thing to do, but mm -hmm. <laughs> it is not the whole of that, you know. So sure. um, when, when you think about, so then moving maybe to science education, um, how do you assess that and, and where we are with that? And then, uh, you know, perhaps we can, we'll sort of roll that into some things, which of course are part of your objectives here at Cairn and how, how you feel that, that ought to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Some of the most uh, fascinating stories when you when you read the stories of scientists, um, we often see the scientists at the end of their journey, right? In terms of yes. when they when they've made it as a scientist. Uh, so I think of somebody like Francis Collins, who wrote the book The Language of God, uh, who was the head of the Human Genome Project, um, you know, that was responsible for sequencing the human genome, um, and that goes back to I think it was the year two thousand that that was you know officially. Uh, that officially happened. But you hear his story, and he's got an interesting story where he didn't really enjoy biology as as a student. And it was, um, he kind of had this this ability to, to ask questions, to see things a certain way. Um, that wasn't just the result of, uh, again, accumulating more facts and a certain approach to education. So we see scientists at the end of that journey, um, but everybody has something that they connect with um, and sometimes that goes back to school. Sometimes that goes back to, you know, this teacher really pushed me. Um, but it always, it always stems beyond that. It always goes beyond that uh, to include, well, there's, I'm kind of interested because I, I really like asking certain questions and exploring the natural world in this particular way. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's science education at its best, is encouraging kind of the sense of wonder, mm -hmm. something that uh, really serves as the basis for, for, for what we're doing in the lab, um, and, and helping students uh, form their own questions too, and, and, and understand how what they're learning connects to other things they're learning in the sciences, but also in, right. in all other subjects for that matter, which, uh, which really makes it exciting. It really mm -hmm. gets back to an integration of disciplines, which uh, which is central to care and saying we don't want to separate science from everything else. We want to uh, keep it as an important part of the whole of an education. What about, um, again, so to, to stay on some of the broader things for a second, what, what about Christians as we think about Christians and the sciences? I mean, mm -hmm. how do you assess that? And obviously there, you know, there, there are tons of things we could talk about mm -hmm. with that, but what are some of the, the chief observations that you might make? Do you mean of, about how Christians pursue science? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, so we've talked about sort of the state of science in the, uh, you know, the world at large. And you mm -hmm. talked about people being pushed into those, you know, disciplines and, and wanting to go into those disciplines, but perhaps for some of the wrong reasons. So I think when you think about how Christians, 
you know, that you've interacted with, mm-hmm. um, that you've both taught, but also, you know, peers and so on. Um, what, are, what are some of the main questions that they are working through, the perspectives they have? And, mm. you know, and if you like too, some of the correctives that you might suggest for some of those things that you think are, you know, they're maybe focusing on things that they ought not to or should in different ways or are, you know, dead on in mm. pursuing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's, there is this tendency almost to fear science. I find many people... Um, and you'll see this in, in certain churches, too, where if somebody's going to pursue the science, you maybe should pray extra hard for them because they're more likely <laughs> to lose their faith if they pursue science right. than something like English or history. Yeah. Um, and that is, th- there's some, you know, maybe some, some value to thinking that because of how certain people um, that has discuss science. People, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. it has happened. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that, again, is from uh, maybe an immature approach to science. So I, I think that the Christian is uniquely uh, equipped to engage science or can engage science in a unique way um, because they recognize that what they're studying, the world of you know, biology in our, our context here, um, we start to see it all as a gift, right? If we recognize, if we understand who God is as creator, um, you know, God has no need to create, but yet we find ourselves here. There is this existence um, that depends at all times on God. Um, but, but too often we focus on some of the, uh, the, the arguments about uh, science and Christian faith as though they, they are separate things, right? So as though uh, the, the book of Genesis is inherently counter to the scientific discipline, um, which is simply not the case. It, it is the case if you, if you are only concerned about trying to, uh, to use Genesis to, to prove science, right? Or if that is the the basis of your approach to, say, the scientific method. Um, but we can't think about, you know, I think what we need to recover is an understanding of the doctrine of creation. Um, and so a, a Christian who understands what, what that looks like, when we look at not only Genesis 1 and 2, but John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, that really serves as the basis for for the ability to even do science. So what we're, it's really a, a wonderful thing to, to consider is we, um, you know, I think there, there's this notion of uh, kind of a medieval notion of natural law that says uh, natural law and kind of the, the human form and the form of creatures is that which participates in the eternal law, in God, right? In, in, our, in our givenness, in our particular limited form, right? We have limits. It's important to recognize those limits. Um, you know, those limits are important, and that's our means to participate in the, the goodness of God. And that's, that's seen as the most natural is when, when the human being kind of aligns that, aligns their form with the eternal law, that is the fulfillment of their nature. Um, and contrast that with the notion of the laws of nature, right, which say that the laws of nature are external. That's really what, you know, God maybe kickstarted the universe. Here's the, the big bang, so to speak. So now nature can get on doing what nature does on its own, separate from God. Um, but the Christian approach, I think what the doctrine of creation tells us is that creation is at all times radically dependent on God for its existence, where if God removes himself, this is not a, a metaphor. This is a literal God sustains creation at every moment. Um, and we get to study, right, the, the, the parts, yes, what are, what are considered laws of nature, um, but it's more important to consider the laws of nature in the context of the, the form, of the organism, so to speak. The organism is not simply 
uh, matter in motion, but the organism is this body and soul, the soul being the very possibility of a body, um, which is, again, counter to a lot of uh, scientific viewpoints. If, if your science is rooted in just the, the laws of nature, as that's the only basis for the beginning of science, then, of course, that's going to be inherently counter to, uh, to a, a Christian faith. Um, but it doesn't mean that science is inherently, uh, you know, it, it's in its own sphere separate from Christian faith. The Christian faith really has the ability, uh, and the doctrine of creation that we're describing, has the ability to help us uh, frame science in a more holistic and a more meaningful way. Okay. Let's pause for this brief commercial interlude. We are here with the Assistant Vice President for Admissions, Tom Scherf. Tom, tell us a little bit about these new biology programs coming to Cairn this fall. Thanks, Nate. Yes, we actually just launched four new biology programs that are going to begin this fall, 2018. Biology, students will have the opportunity to get a Bachelor of Arts as well as a Bachelor in Science. We also have a pre-med track that's a biology degree as well, a Bachelor in Science, and as well as a pre-physical therapy biology degree that's also a Bachelor in Science. We're committed at Cairn to offering biblically-based education in the sciences. So the university is not only just providing these programs, but also offering scholarships to biology students matriculating in 2018-19, as well as in 2019-2020 school years. Students can be awarded up to 4000 each year if they remain eligible through their time at Cairn. With the average financial aid package of a Cairn student totaling over $16,000 per year, an education in biology is even more accessible now than ever, and we want to facilitate that for your student. All four programs offer brand new career options for university graduates while still building upon an education centered on Christ and His Word. Thanks, Tom. For more information on this, go to cairn.edu slash cairn10-biology. That's cairn.edu slash C-A-I-R-N 10-biology. All right, now that we've heard a few about the four degrees that we will be offering starting this fall, uh, Greg, you could have taught at a variety of different places, and you have taught before. Uh, what is it about Cairn that drew you to this place as, the, as a professor, the opportunity to, in many ways, really be instrumental in building this new program. Here's your opportunity to do a full-on plug and advertisement. <laughs> we hope to get this in the hands of prospective students and alumni who have sons and daughters who might be interested in the sciences. And uh, Cairn is an option for them in a way that it hasn't been necessarily in the past. So mm -hmm. why are you here? Yeah, I think Cairn is, is really a unique place uh, to me in that uh, when I was interviewed, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was I didn't interview with just scientists, nor uh, was I only asked questions about my, my scientific background. They were interested in that, wanted to know, um, you know my, my skill set and what I could teach, but they were uh, even more interested in uh, how, I, how I taught. Um, and how I integrated what I taught with all other disciplines. Um, that was really a central concern with somebody who uh, can articulate how science fits into uh, education more generally. And, and at Cairn, there is this understanding, uh, if we really say that all truth is God's truth, uh, we ought to teach that way. And that doesn't consist of just taking a number of courses from different disciplines, you know, so you have all these different puzzle pieces and now right. you can somehow bring them together but asking questions that require you to 
uh, yes, to know science really well, to know uh, certain concepts within uh, the course you're taking, uh, but also to go beyond that. So when we talk about the digestive system in anatomy and physiology, we draw in psychology, English, history, uh, and that may seem like, well, how do you do that? Um, and e just to talk about the very nature of eating and the fact that in order for us to survive, we are dependent on other creatures to eat and other organisms. What does that teach us about the human condition, about what it means to bear the image of God? Uh, there's all sorts of really interesting questions uh, that, can, that can cause the student to go beyond just the simple, well, digestion is just about getting the, the, the nutrients that we need to sustain cell processes, and that, that's digestion. Um, you know, so drawing us into some of the, the integration, that's really what I think is, uh, is the the most unique element of a care and education is when we say that we integrate, uh, it's not just that when you look at your curriculum sheet that you're taking a lot of different classes, but within each of your classes, we are encouraging you uh, to think about uh, all of the disciplines and the way that they connect to uh, what's going to ultimately make you uh, a disciple of Christ, you know, and prepare you for a calling, not just for a particular job, right? We prepare you for that job. We prepare you for that vocation. Uh, but more importantly, let's think about it as a calling, as a, as a Christian person. Let's develop you as a person, not just as a scientist. Mm -hmm. And all the students are still taking 30 credit hours of Bible Absolutely. as part of their education. So to you, and as someone who actually has biblical training as well, in addition to all your scientific training, what's the value of that? I mean, even having not just integrated courses in your discipline or in general education, but also specific classes in studying the scriptures and then integrating in that as well. What, what's the value of that for people studying science? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so in the field of biology, we talk about life a lot since mm -hmm. that's what we're studying. Um, and even the very notion that we think we can define life just by studying biology, uh, you can't do that. There's a, a great quote by Robert Spayman, um, and he says, uh, because life is the being of the living, then life cannot be defined. So if you think about that as you're entering your, your coursework in biology, you're studying something, life, that can't be defined. Or at least, if we're going to define life biologically, uh, we have to recognize as a Christian that life is something that, yes, has uh, a, a basis in the study of the cell, right? We can study certain behaviors and the, the possibility of life that arises from interactions of cells that produce the organism. But again, it's not just these individual material units that somehow build together to make the human person, um, but it's God giving the form of the human person that is the possibility of life in the first place. So you can't study biology, uh, you can't study and understand life without reflecting on uh, and, and having an integrated understanding of how your, your faith fits with science. Again, they're not competing. Um, but that's to say that we, we have to think about them together. And it's not simply that um, we study science and we say God created it and that's good enough. It's what does it mean? How does it fundamentally alter our approach to science and our understanding of science? And how can we draw more meaning from the science that we're doing if we do it in the context of our Christian faith? Mm -hmm. So that, that faith is kind of the first and foremost, the thing that, that helps to 
uh, clarify reason, so to speak, or, or put reason in its, its proper light. A lot of our alumni are eternal scholars and are they eat up any resources we send their way. Alumni can take advantage of a lot of free um, library databases that we have. Those can be found on the alumni website, karen.edu slash alumni under the benefits. Um, and we've, we've gotten into the habit here of having people do a little recommended reading. And so what we normally do is give away uh, a copy of one of the books that one of our guests Recommends and so if you if you're interested in one of the resources that is mentioned here, uh, send an email to alumni at karen.edu and, um, and and let me know and we we'll do that for the first person who responds. But Greg, can you talk a little bit about for for Christians or for anyone, but perhaps specifically Christians who are interested in thinking more thoroughly about the sciences? What do you tell them to do in terms of resources? Yeah. To yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of specific resources that I guide them to, uh, I mean, one, the most important thing is that we, we begin to ask the right questions, right, about right. how, how um, faith and science, again, are not mutually exclusive, but, uh, but, but both important ways to, to understand our approach to science. Um, so there is a course I teach, History and Philosophy of Science. Uh, we discuss um, a whole host of issues, but we start by kind of tracing the, the philosophy of science. We go through the, uh, the history, even the term science and religion. Um, how did we arrive at those terms? And then we'll discuss some of the, the more, let's say, contemporary issues in the church with creation, evolution, some of the anthropology, Adam and Eve. Uh, how do we think about these issues? And often those issues are at the forefront of students' minds mm-hmm. when they enter a class because that's their uh, engagement with science and, and kind of wrestling with these questions, uh, which are great questions uh, to have. Um, but we want to, it's important to think about those questions in light of uh, how we understand the, the approach to science, the scientific discipline itself, uh, which is often viewed as science. We, we got rid of all the old tradition um, and, and now that, you know, along comes the Enlightenment, and then now we have this new approach to reason that allows us to get rid of, uh, you know, the, what we thought about science. Aristotle was simply wrong. He had a lot of great ideas in science, but now we've corrected him. Let's move on. Uh, and there's something really important to thinking about how science has developed uh, and some of the benefits of the scientific method as we do it today, and maybe some of the things that we've lost, some things that we need to recover. So with that in mind, uh, some of the things that I think provide the, the context for viewing that, um, one resource that we use, it's, it's a book called Origins by Lauren and Deborah um, Har- Harzma. I'm going to mispronounce that last name, I know. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a book that goes into a lot of those contemporary issues um, and tries to provide the context for how, how Christians have thought about these issues, age of the earth issues, uh, how we think about Adam and Eve, and you know, all, all sorts of the, the hot button issues uh, in the church. And then some of the other books that, that provide the context for that contemporary discussion, um, one is by one of my professors at the University of Nottingham. Uh, it's a book called Creation, A Guide for the Perplexed. It's by Simon Oliver. And that, uh, he really follows, um, uses, uh, engages with Thomas Aquinas. And it's a fabulous book that goes through uh, how the doctrine of creation can set the foundation for uh, for science um, and, and really put science into a, a more meaningful uh, light, mm. uh, our approach to that. Uh, another book by uh, John Lennox is called Seven Days That Divide the World. Um, he is a Christian apologist 
um, and he discusses the seven days and, and some of the arguments surrounding the seven days and is a, uh, a great resource for, for people who have a question about, well, how do we think about the seven days in Genesis? Um, another book is called No God, No Science. This is a, a very difficult read, but for those who really enjoy engaging with uh, rigorous philosophical arguments, this is by Michael Hanby. Uh, it's a book that came out in 2013. Um, and really, he makes the, the approach that science is never without its theology. As much as it's vehemently denied, um, science, whether Christian or not, always has an integrated theology there, something that governs the questions that we ask. Uh, and again, that's not an, an easy read, but one that, that's really rewarding if you, if you work through it. Um, Peter Harrison just came out with a book called The Territories of Science and Religion. This is another book that we use in History and Philosophy of Science to talk about those terms, science and religion. He's actually a historian who looks at both of these terms and their development in a historical context. Um, so it's really important that we know what science and religion are if, that, if we're talking about those. Uh, another book by Etienne Gilson is From Aristotle to Darwin and Back Again. He's tracing the idea of um, a lot of its teleology or purpose uh, and how an understanding of purpose has changed, you know, from the time of Aristotle up to Darwin and some of the, the shifts in thinking that have occurred. Um, and then one final one uh, by David Bentley Hart is called Atheist Delusions. Um, and you can tell from the title uh, his particular stance, but it gets into uh, some of the, the arguments by especially those who are known as the, the new atheists, the right. kind of um, considered ultra-Darwinists or um, those who follow uh, what's considered on ontological naturalism, the fact that nature is all there is, there's nothing outside of nature. Uh, and he talks about uh, how, how we engage with those arguments and why, uh, in essence, why they, those arguments don't stand. Um, so all of those are, are wonderful resources to, to think about uh, the science and, and religion. That's great. We'll put links to these and perhaps uh, others that you might recommend at the bottom of the podcast for you to check out. And as I mentioned, uh, the first person to send an email requesting one of these resources will be happy to get that out to you and assist you in your thought about these, these very important issues. Well, thanks for joining us, Greg, and thanks to those of you who have listened. If you want to hear a more extended version of our conversation, if this has been so scintillating for you that you just need more of this discussion, click the link at the bottom of the podcast. And I wanted to mention, you've, you've probably heard of the Forward campaign at Cairn, launched at Homecoming 2016. This modest $15 million campaign supports student scholarships, campus improvements, which are already underway, uh, as well as new programs, and Greg's is one of those. So the fact that we are launching this new program, these programs in biology this fall, uh, and that we are more than halfway to our goal is the reason that we're able to reach into these new disciplines and place well-trained and biblically-minded scientists in professional fields. So thanks to all of those of you who have given to Cairn in the past fiscal year. Uh, please consider going to cairn.edu slash give for more updates on the campaign, the new programs, as well as the opportunity to make a gift today. Thanks for listening.